I've got a very exciting announcement for you. That is the Healing Power of Energy Retreat held at Cuixmala in Mexico is on for January 30th through February 6th, 2021. It's a seven-night transformative retreat fusing ancient healing wisdom with advanced modern technology. It'll be led by Dr. Rashid Buttar, Dr. Jerry Rivera DiGenio, and Robert Slovak. And I'll be there live streaming, recording, covering the whole thing. I look forward to you joining me. If you want to get more information, get your tickets, go to lukestory.com slash events. That's lukestory.com slash events for the healing power of energy tree at Cuixmala in Mexico. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You, my friends, are about to listen to a special bonus rebroadcast episode of my recent appearance as a guest on the Wellness Force Podcast with my friend and former guest on this show, Mr. Josh Trent. Before we jump into this episode, I want to invite you to our regularly programmed show this Tuesday with none other than Dr. Rashid Buttar. It's called COVID Tyranny Exposed, Fighting for Medical Truth and Freedom. And that, my friends, is a show you don't want to miss. Here's what I talk about in this interview as the interviewee with my friend Josh Trent. My decision to participate in plant medicine ceremonies and why it was so challenging for me to make that decision. Unpacking my family's history, including alcoholism, abuse, neglect, and how that impacted my life and relationships at a young age. Why I avoided being emotionally intimate or vulnerable for a very long time and how that has recently changed. How kundalini yoga has been instrumental in my awakening. My past definition of freedom and the moment I realized that I had actually imprisoned myself. The many addictions I've put aside in order to gain greater self-awareness and higher consciousness. The various 12-step groups that focus on helping people with dysfunctional behavior such as sex addiction, love addiction, and issues in relationships. How I was shown in a number of different plant medicine ceremonies that I am now done repeating my old childhood patterns. What I'm currently doing to avoid falling back into those old patterns. The challenges he and my fiance Allison are still going through and working on to build a stronger relationship. How I've heightened my awareness of negative thought and speaking patterns to improve my relationships, unpacking the ego and why it's actually a vital part of who we are as human beings. The healthy boundaries I set for myself when I was ready to start dating again. The relationship I had with my mom and dad as a kid and how that perpetuated various behavior patterns throughout my life. Why it's so important to have a conscious pathway to attend a plant medicine ceremony. Why it's a beautiful and important thing for men to cry and express their emotions. The great relationship advice my father gave me and what it's been like for me to be in a long-term relationship. Why it's so important to take a new relationship slowly and consciously instead of going all in and becoming obsessed about it. My experience participating in several peyote ceremonies with my partner and how that impacted us as a couple early on in the relationship. How my past fears of commitment came up in said peyote ceremonies. How my plans for navigating relationships and boundaries have shifted over the years. Exploring intuitive awareness as to when and whether or not we should open our hearts or protect ourselves. Why being too serious all the time is harmful to our well-being and our life's journey. The importance of not approaching current events with fear. 
exploring the nature of our current reality and what is actually happening beneath the surface in our society. So this is a really deep episode, as you can tell. It's also really fun. Josh is an amazing interviewer. He brought things out in me that I never thought I would talk about publicly, quite frankly, kind of put me on the spot. He's really good, but I just rolled with it. And I thought, you know what? The vulnerability is bound to help someone who's struggling or has struggled with some of the things that I've managed to overcome over the years. So it's with uh, great joy that I share this very deep and intimate conversation with you. And I hope it serves your highest good. And again, don't forget to tune in on Tuesday with Dr. Rashid Buttar, where we talk about the ongoing COVID tyranny issue. Thanks for listening. See you on Tuesday. Hey, live people. It's so much, <laughs> it's way louder in our heads. Um, there's, I think there's seven cameras here, you guys. I'm not even joking. So if you're watching this on, I think it's my personal here on Instagram. This is the one and only Luke story. What's up, Luke? Hey guys. We're going to talk about, uh, conscious relationships today. Oh, shit. Among other things, among <laughs> other things. But, but the last time I saw Luke, um, last time I saw you, man, at your house, you were in a completely different space. And I've yes. been so inspired just to know a little bit of your story just from social media, but you've been handling quite a bit. Like you've been changing, you've been morphing, you've been doing different medicines. You went to Costa Rica. You're still living in LA. Live and let die in LA. Live and let live in LA. Uh, how have you been, man? It's been like a year and a half since you're on Wellness Forest. Maybe even two years. Josh, life is... Uh... Life's really good. I mean, if nothing else, it's interesting, you know, in light of everything that's going on. Uh, I'm doing my best to see the current events that we see transpire in the world as a new beginning and the uh, end of a former paradigm. But it is challenging at times, you know, watching streets of LA on fire again. I was there in the LA riots in uh, the 90s and... You know, seeing all of that kind of come back around and um, the overreach of the powers that be come to fruition and, you know, watching the things that someone like David Icke was talking about 20 years ago actually happen. <laughs> it's kind of disconcerting, you know, it's like those conspiracy theories you hoped weren't true and are kind of now proving themselves to be so. Yeah. But uh, aside from all of that in the outer, my inner world is amazing. And um, as you know, my lovely girlfriend, Allison, was just yes. here and... You know, that has been an absolute blessing. And really since the beginning of 2019 in January, when I went to Rhythmia at your recommendation, by the way, thank you. You're welcome, man. Uh, for that, because you yeah. know that that was a challenging decision for oh, me. Oh, yeah, for number, especially with your background. Yeah, for a number of reasons. 20 years, I believe, of yeah, I was 22 years sober. alcohol. 22 years sober when I went there. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that set off this whole other as anyone would know that has had this type of experience, it set off a whole other. Um, degree of awakening and depth and healing and just absolute transformation. So it's been about a year and a half since that initial liftoff. And so while all areas of my inner world and as a result, outer world have been up leveling and improving, there's the contrast of what's going on in the world at large. So it's a really, it's an interesting time um, 
but it's great, dude. It's great. It's a great time to be alive. I remember the last time I was at your house, we were doing biohacking. And at the time you were in a different relationship and there were some books on the wall and one of them was crooked. And I was like, oh, there's some nice books up there. I think like you even had Hawkins book up on the counter or something. And you're like, yeah, I got in a fight with my, with my lady today. And I don't, you know, it was just, it was a crazy morning. And I'd like to, I'd like to contrast what's transpired, dude. So you're in a totally different relationship. Now you're in really what I can see and feel just from meeting this woman, uh, a very deeply loving, conscious relationship. Um, what was it like transitioning from that to where you are now? How much time was there? Were you in the relationship when you met Allison? She's a oh, no, rock star no. shaman. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Allison Charles. No, I don't. I don't do things like that. Um, definitely, you know, space in between. Uh, my journey with relationships, man, has been wild, and I, I think I have to just give context of backing up a little bit and say that, um, like many of us, I never learned how to do it, you know, yeah. and so. I was recently actually interviewing kind of, well, not interviewing, but because it wasn't being recorded, although I hope it someday will be. But I was just talking to my mom about our family lineage going back on her side. I interviewed my dad like on camera just for posterity, uh, which maybe someday I'll put out as a podcast episode um, a couple years ago about his whole side of the family. And just going back, there's just so much alcoholism and dysfunction and abuse, neglect, abandonment. And that's kind of the world that I chose to come in as a incarnated being. And so observing the primary care givers that were adults as a kid, I didn't learn about healthy relationships at all. And um, and then left home when I was 14 and pretty much didn't go back. And so set out in the world to try to you know, meet whatever needs I had. And um, it's really interesting actually to observe how and and we know this from the basics of pop psychology that y- you're going to marry your mom or you're going to marry your dad, right? That dynamic. And I heard that and had seen glimpses of that. But uh, in the past couple of years, I've really seen how that is so true in that when you have traumatic experiences with your primary relationships, uh, at least in my case, for sure, those definitely tend to play out and repeat themselves. And so you meet someone... And it feels like it's so right. And it's not necessarily that it's so right. It's that it's so familiar. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that recognizes that dynamic. And so I went through most of my adult life uh, and adolescence avoiding intimacy and closeness and vulnerability because of things that happened when I was a kid that uh, caused me to feel sort of entrapped by relationships and by women specifically. So I was like the perpetual unavailable guy and, you know, I had a few girlfriends here and there, but I just would never allow myself to really open my heart. I didn't know how to do that because I didn't know how to do it for myself. But did you recognize yourself looking back as more of like an avoidant tendency? 100%. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't even know these terms or any of this stuff, right, you know, right, but yeah. essentially to, to make a, a long story as short as I can and bring it up to speed, it's that... Yeah, I was very love avoidant coupled with, I don't know if I was ever a bona fide sex addict per se, because it didn't really like control my life or ruin my life. When I think about being addicted to something as I was to drugs, I mean, that's all there was. It just eclipsed anything and everything else in terms of my hierarchy of values. And um, I don't know that sex ever really did that, but I think I had a lot of sex 
as a means by which to avoid love and intimacy, if that makes mm. sense, you know? Yeah, it does. Um, not really getting yeah. too close to one person, not wanting to be monogamous, you know, reading sex at dawn, thinking everyone's supposed to be poly, like all these different phases, you know? <laughs> but what happened for me was a few years ago, uh, and no offense to anyone that's like reading those books and, you know, the ethical sure. slut. There's a bunch of those books that are like, we're supposed to fuck everyone all There's the time. There's a book called The Ethical Slut? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a good book. You know, and for some people's path, that might be, you know, I mean, you were, you know, our friend Aubrey experimented with that for a long time. And I think yeah. for some time had some Which success. Which he's now monogamous. Now he's married. <clears throat> Is he really? Oh, I didn't know he got married. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so what happened was, you know, I'm drugs and alcohol these years, total train wreck mess, trying to cope and medicate, you know, my trauma. And then I got sober when I was 26 and then attempted to stumble my way through a few relationships because that's kind of what you're supposed to do when you get sober. You kind of get your shit together and, you know, nest up and tried that and, and had a pretty miserable time and made, made a lot of mistakes and probably hurt a few people and was hurt by a few people. Fast forward to, you know, maybe into my 20 years of sobriety and I had been practicing Kundalini yoga um, in a very committed way for many years and really opening up the chakras, you know, which sounds like some bullshit you read in like yoga journal. Right. But it actually happened to There's me. There's some truth there. It happened to me. And yeah. so what happened was, as I started to be, a, you know, continue to be avoidant and just kind of have casual relationships. And I would say most of the time doing so quite honestly and transparently, um, because that was part of my sobriety is, you know, you don't hurt people and manipulate people and lie and be a dick, uh, you, you know, do your best to be less selfish than you once were. And so um, in those endeavors, there was a, a lot overtly stated that like, hey, I'm the unavailable guy that you hang out with on the side while you're looking for a husband who wants to settle down with you. I mean, I would literally say that probably even on the first date in a number of occasions. What happened though, is as I started to do more inner work and more awakening and get more in touch with myself, and especially doing that Kundalini yoga, is that the second chakra could no longer be disconnected from the fourth. Is it the fourth your heart? Let's <laughs> get the numbers next time. So. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. it doesn't matter the numbers. Yes, anyway, four. you know, my private parts started to become intimately connected to my heart center, you know? And so I yeah. would <clears throat> attempt to have relationships that were more shallow and based on physicality and fun and freedom and all of that. And then what I started to find was this value that I had held on to so tightly my perceived sense of freedom that like I want to go where I want when I want be with who I want whenever all this kind of thing um I started to realize that I had actually imprisoned myself and that my interpretation of and version of freedom was actually very confining because I wasn't able to fully express my heart and so um and that real vulnerability where that sweetness of human connection really exists and so I stumbled into a couple of relationships um, with the intention of having more of a physical experience. And then my heart got involved because I could no longer disconnect those two. I became too conscious, in other words, to have an unconscious relationship and, um, and had a couple that were um, very challenging emotionally and that were in hindsight, although there was authentic caring and lovingness inherent to those relationships, uh, there was a lot of trauma bonding going on where I was reenacting systems and programming and patterns developed in childhood through my early 
bonding relationships. Yeah. And it probably felt just as lucrative as anything else or just almost addictive in a way. Oh, incredibly addictive. Trauma bonding can be like, oh, that's the thrill that I've been looking for. But really it's like you want somebody to feel at home with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Isn't that really what we're all looking for? But the the exciting thing is so fun because it's like, oh, it's a new person. We're going to do all these new things together. They kind of like trigger me like my mom or my dad does. There was a point though where you had to decide like, oh, this actually isn't for me. You had to love yourself enough to leave um, potentially addictive relationships that most yeah. people don't have that consciousness to get through. Yeah. And, you know, like any big paramount shifts and transformations that I've had in my life, um, and I'm not being self deprecating, but just honestly, they've not been instigated out of virtue. They've been instigated out of abject pain and hitting a wall that's like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I would have never quit doing drugs if it was still serving me. Drugs are awesome. Especially if you're someone with a lot of unresolved trauma, you take heroin, it's amazing at killing pain. (laughs) However, the side effects of that particular coping mechanism are horrific and will fucking kill you. Don't do heroin, kids. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in like measure, going in and out of relationships where, you know, I'm just experiencing insomnia, nausea, um, digestive problems. I mean, just my nervous system is just broken um, from unresolved earlier issues that are being re-triggered and re-manifesting and compounded on by seeking out unconsciously those same dynamics. So with me, it got to a point where I was just like, I'm opting out. I'm a hard out. I quit porn. People ask me, did you quit the thing you do when you watch porn? Not entirely, but I became much more aware of when I was doing it to escape, you know what I mean? Um, And it just kind of became relegated to something done, maybe if I wanted to fall asleep or... I mean, really like... (laughs) It was a conscious use. Yeah, utilitarian use, I I might say. I mean, I'm 49. I'm not incredibly horny these days, you know, like (laughs) I was in my 20s or even 30s. But anyway, you know, quit porn, quit dating. Um, Went to uh, groups that help people with this kind of dysfunctional behavior. Uh, What kind of groups though? Like specifically? 12-step groups. I mean, you know, it's tricky there because there's anonymity issues, but I went to groups of people that are having problems with the relationships and sex addiction, love addiction, um, avoidance. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff because I just avoided all of it and just was sober, having fun, living my life. I had a career in Hollywood, uh, working in fashion. And this is why would you ever look at that? Just be conscious, do your very best not to hurt people or mislead people and just have fun. And that's what I did up until the point where that fun started to be really empty. And I realized that, um, you know, like everything I just said, but anyway, so I started buying every book on like codependency and love addiction, section, all that stuff. What were some of the first books you bought? Oh, um, uh, Pia Melody. Um, God, I forget the name of it. Pia Melody's work on codependency. Um, they both have very similar names and I always get them confused. Pia Melody and the other one is... Uh, Somebody knows it right Melody. Now. It's Mel- they both have a melody in their name that's spelled differently and they write on codependency and love addiction and avoidance and stuff. Yeah. I can let you know for the show notes because I'm sure okay, I have them. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, I just started devouring every podcast about dysfunctional relationships, addictive relationships, because I'm like, dude... Why is this so difficult? I have my shit together pretty well in most areas of my life, yet here I go repeating these patterns. And even if it's not the same exact pattern, it's inevitably going to be one that matches one of those early dynamics. So uh, I did, you know, about 
18 months, 20 months or so, almost two years all in with no porn, no dating, no sex, no flirting. I mean, I barely even looked at women in the eyes. Like This is like ultimate celibacy. Yeah, yeah. Because it was necessary for me in order to do a hard reset and to really be able to have a high degree of objectivity about my behavior, my patterns, and what it was underneath all of that that needed to be healed. And so that started to really be revealed. And I really did start to see these patterns so clearly just through writing and reading and journaling and praying and meditating, just go like, God, I actually now in my life at that point wanted to be in a committed monogamous long-term relationship pretty much for the first time in my life, you know, and this is in my I'm not good at numbers, but, you know, mid forties, I guess you could say at that point, you know, and I'm like finally ready to come out of the Peter Pan phase of just like having fun and being free and and really, really settle down in a serious way Um, or in a meaningful way, not never a serious way. I don't like seriousness, (laughs) but in a meaningful way, as I said, because I, dude, my heart was just exploding with love and I have so much love inside me. It's just like, I mean, this is just how I live every day is just cultivating that and just emanating that and receiving that. And it got to this point where there was just this disconnect where that transmitter was being muted and stifled. And that became incredibly heartbreaking to have those feelings that are emerging and wanting to be shared. And then having, you know, my old wounds put the brakes on that and go, no, 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 keep that down. So the reset was all about that. Once I felt I was ready, I prayed, I conferred with my my guides of all types and, um, and set out to go about dating. When I went to go date again after that period, I had a very clear plan. I mean, it was like I wrote down every single thing I was looking for, all my red flags, all my non-negotiables. I mean, I had to be very methodical about it and very um, quite linear. It was just like, okay, I'm a dude, like this is what I want. This is what I don't want. And also a very clear and honest inventory of what I have to offer a relationship, which surprisingly to me, I found was quite a lot because of the work that I'd done. Yeah, you were willing to go very deep. I mean, this is Byron Katie as well was in there somehow. Yeah, right? yeah. Along with the codependency uh, understandings and emotional inventory. For me, it just hits me in the heart because this is about a year, a few days ago, I was talking with Carrie Michelle and I was like, wow, it's been an entire year since I've viewed pornography. And like, that was a 25 year addiction. Yeah. So like hearing that from you and just having more conscious men talk about this, it's so so healing. And honestly, it just like takes a load off my back just to be able to talk about the truth. Yeah. Because really yeah. what, what is pornography? It's the same exact um, kind of like temporary medicine that people are craving, which is like a calming of the nervous system, but really overworking pornography, um, shopping addiction, any kind of addiction, like a disconnection from self, from, from who you were. For me, it was like, I was just, how am I going to do it all? That was, that was what I was running from. How am I going to like have a successful business and a relationship and a podcast? And how am I going to hold up the space? Like that was just like eating me alive. So I was having podcasts about like being a great conscious man. And then I'd be like watching. Porn. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. It, there was a total misalignment yeah. of, of who I was. Yeah. It, there was a point though, where um, I actually went to a ceremony and I got so affected by that ceremony. Uh, it, was, it was, the space was not held properly that I had to go and get cleared and healed from Paul Chak for my mentor. And he was like, yeah, if I had to describe it, you have like a crocodile, like a black entity on your body. And so he cleared it. And I realized like a month later, like, wow, I, I picked that up during the ceremony. And it was a beautiful gift because entities can't live unless there's space for them to be in. 
So there was something within me that needed to be healed. And I think about that. The reason I'm, I'm sharing this is because for you, man, you had so many years of not wanting to get down in there. Really, your heart was like wanting. Was it that you didn't feel worthy? Was it that you didn't even know what that was? Like there was something in there that wanted love, but then there was something else that was like mashing it down. Like what was that, that fight, that duality? Well, I think it's my misunderstanding of the principle of freedom. You know, and that I thought freedom was not having to commit to another person. I mean, it's really, it's so ridiculous sounding now to even voice that out loud. Cause now freedom to me is like with my, oh God. Freedom now with my, amazing partner Allison is uh, it's there's such a depth of freedom there's a freedom to unabashedly with any without any reservation whatsoever to express how much I love her both in in word and in deed and not to feel which is how I used to feel. It's just now the dysfunction becomes so clear to me because of the contrast. But I really used to believe if you truly showed a woman how much you love them, that they would eventually take that information and use it as a dagger to fucking destroy you. I mean, this is the kind of dysfunctional thinking I used to have. So that element of freedom. And then the other element of freedom to just be at home. You know, that feeling you have when you walk into your house, provided you have a, a home that you enjoy and feel safe in. You know, some people don't. Yeah. I used to not. But it's that feeling of, of being home and just to have zero guard up and to just be able to breathe. You know, it's like I was in so many situations that I put myself in um, relationally where I was always holding my breath, thinking, well, at least I'm not fully committed to this, so I'm free. You know, but like holding your breath, how is that free? You know, and now it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm still shocked at how authentic and real I can be with, with my girlfriend and that she still loves me, you know, and that's, I'm not, again, it's not a self-deprecating thing. I'm just yeah. like, I didn't know you could actually be yourself to this degree. And just the more myself I am, uh, the more that self is received and loved and accepted. And, and I'm also have the capacity to do that as well, which is ever growing, you know? So it's like, I think yeah. that the restriction that I was putting on myself was just a protective mechanism, man. Cause I, you know, I was just hurt so much when I was a kid. And then I, I made like a, a lifelong career out of hurting myself even more. And I was just hell bent on self-destruction. And then once I escaped that, then it was, you know, about trying to cobble together this a new version of myself when I got sober. And um, as you indicated, all these other sub addictions and sub coping mechanisms that, you know, yeah, you're not doing drugs and drinking, but the shopping and the sex and racking up debt and smoking yeah. cigarettes and just dysfunctional relationships and all of that stuff that one can use to evade that depth of feeling and felt sense of being. And now it's like, I mean, I still have my little quirks and habits. Don't get me wrong. I've not ascended, you know, the human experience, but in terms of the context of relationships, I was shown in a number of different medicine ceremonies that 
that while I'm sure there's still left to uh, uh, a lot left to learn in relating to another, but the lessons of repeating the childhood patterns are done. Mm. Those are done. This just feels so freeing. I can just yeah. like feel it on you. So being the brave motherfucker that I am, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was willing to just keep getting back in the ring. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful that God gave me that courage and stamina and tenacity rather than just uh, reverting back into further avoidance of intimacy because of the fear. Like each time I hurt myself in a relationship or in some cases was hurt by other, they're probably one in the same. Uh, I took some time, integrated those lessons in whatever ways were necessary. In in many cases in the past couple of years, it's been through uh, medicine and then came out and went, okay, got it. Lesson learned. I'm now done with that pattern. I don't have to marry my mommy or marry my daddy or marry my abusers anymore. There's a new experience. And so the lessons in my relationship now, rather than being based on repeating those patterns and having them heard enough where I'm willing to examine them and then erase those patterns and build new ones, it's now just all new pattern. It's like, how intimate can I be? Um, how selfless can I be? How considerate can I be? Uh, how much can I open my heart? Uh, you know, how much love can I allow in? How much vulnerability? How much can I be myself? How honest can I be in my relationship? How committed can I be to the relationship in and of itself and also to my partner? And so it's like the lessons are now in, and not to say that, you know, there aren't things that we need to talk about and work through. Yesterday we had a chat about some stuff and it was a little uncomfortable for 15, 20 minutes, you know, it was a little bit of a tough talk, but here's the thing. <laughs> There's so much here, dude. There's so much. To well, here, here's yeah. the thing. I'm just letting you go. Cause I'm like, man, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It's, I'm not that great at being interviewed. I'll be honest because I never leave room for more questions because I just, there's so much I want to get out. And I don't know if that's a bad thing, but I, it's a good thing. I'll corral you. But in. I'll be able to put a bow on it. Here, here's the thing though, Josh, is that in order for me to be receptive to the kind of partner that I have now, it was really necessary for me to delve into my sense of self-worth and my sense of deserving and capacity, maturity, um, my level of consciousness to be able to deserve someone who can have an uncomfortable conversation like we had without any blame, guilt, recrimination. It's like how I exist in my world on a good day, which is most of the time, is in a position of witness observing the phenomenon of my thoughts and feelings. And when my thoughts go like, really? You had to put a cell tower right there in front of someone's <laughs> house? Fuck you, AT&T. Or yeah. really? Assigned to wear a mask on the beach? You idiots, viruses mm -hmm. don't live in the sun. You know, these are the kind of thoughts that come up and put on your mask when you walk to the table, when you sit yeah, at the table, I mean, you just can take the, your mask the off. The ludicrous, ridiculous <laughs> nature of reality as we know it now in so many ways. I'm training myself and have been for a long time to watch for that negativity and to watch for that spin on something to find it wrong and to call it wrong. And then for my ego to be like, I'm right. So coming from this place of living life as a prayer, life as a meditation, to whereas I witness these things in myself, 
most of the time I'm able to have some agency over them because of that awareness, right? Being now in relationship with someone that's also been doing that for as long as I have and does it for herself, by herself, that when we come together and form this union, now the bond and the communication is on that level where it's like such a higher level Two observers going, oh, wow, when you said that, it really triggered this thing in me and I'm observing that. Will you observe this with me and acknowledge this within me? Yes, honey, tell me what that's like. I'm right here. I'm breathing with you. I am in your face. I'm leaning in. There's so I'm much listening, you know, so much that overlaps here because yeah. you're, you're an ego structure who is also has an observer mm-hmm. and you don't want to like completely kill the ego. Can't. The egos allows you to be Luke. Can't. That's what makes you play guitar. I'd be and wearing, do a podcast I'd be wearing and, ugly dad jeans. You exactly. Know? <laughs> You'd be wearing those thick white sneakers with the pulled up white socks, man. So, so, so there's the ego, there's the observer. And then there's also a connection with spirit because whether you're in 12 step or not, and, and you and I have talked about this multiple times, man, it is people's disconnection from God or spirit that actually think, makes them think that they're alone. That's, that's what perpetuates the illusion of separation. So along this journey, man, I almost feel like, and I'm curious how you feel, the right woman comes along or however you want to identify, the right partner comes along. For you, it's a woman. For me, it's a woman. The right woman comes along and that is what brings you back home to God because she reminds you, that person reminds you that, oh, well, that's God talking to God. That's me interfacing as God to another God. Let's create a life of heaven together here on planet earth. But it's not spiritual bypassing. You've obviously done the work. Like you've gone through many multiple dark nights of the soul. Uh, Last time I remember we were talking about a cockroach when you were passed out on the floor, when you were in addiction land. And so here you sit today, man. A few of them. (laughs) So here you sit today, you know, you you interviewed Allison. I think it was episode 111, which I want to know the significance of that episode, the number. Did you plan that? And then also who, who is this woman that reminded you that you're God, so is she, and you guys can do this work at a higher level together. Should just have her in the interview with us. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I met Allison, here's, here's how it happened. I was speaking at this event called Whitma in New York, a couple, maybe three years ago, three and a half years ago. And, um, and I saw her on the social media posts and things, the promotional materials. And I was like, whoa, hottie, hello. Uh, this is during celibacy. Yeah, right? yeah, that's the problem. Yes. So I was like, yep, well, not for you, Luke, but she might be a great interview. And so I, when I was out there, I crammed in, I don't know, like 15 interviews in two weeks or something like that. I did a lot of recording and she was one of them. And, um, you know, I studied up on her work like I would anyone that I'm going to interview so I can walk in uh, educated and have some good questions. And, um, I was attracted to her, but like I said, I was in, in that zone that I was in, there was no flirting. There was no, I mean, she would have thought that I was married or gay. Like there was zero indication that I thought she was physically attractive because I wasn't giving that energy because I had to withdraw all of that energy. I was wasting from being in the coffee shop and like looking over that kind of thing. Like, did she look at me? Yeah, she looked at me. I'm okay. I'm worth something. You know, like all that shit just had to be dismantled. So I meet her and I'm just like all business. Hi, nice to meet you, Allison. Let's do the interview. But during the interview, 111, yes, it was 111, not planned, but it had just happened that way. By the way, by the way, 2522, our street address adds up to 11. Oh, I just want to throw that out there. So a lot of ones up in here. Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, during that interview, I had a moment of awakening uh, with her, which I'll never forget. It's on video. You know, I had it on Facebook Live, so I still have the video. I'll probably play it at our wedding or something someday. But um, 
Yeah, there was a moment where I was explaining to her why I was doing my thing. And um, and because her awakening had come out of relationships 100%. She was not a, an addict or anything like that. She just was in a long, really tumultuous uh, relationship that ended in a lot of pain. And so that was the beginning of her um, awakening. So we were talking kind of along those lines. And in that moment is when I had the realization that I was breaking my own heart by withholding my love. And I expressed that to her in that moment. And she was just there. I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's no other way to explain it, but it was a really vulnerable moment for me. And it was also a moment in which I, re- I had an awakening or a mini realization right there that I didn't really know. I hadn't articulated it in that way. And she was just like smiling, eyes open, heart open, completely just full of empathy in that moment with me without judgment and just really held space. And it was meaningful um, to me, but she lived in New York. I was celibate and whatever. So that was the end of it. And then we you know, stayed in touch here and there and spoke at some events together and said hi and texted every once in a while. And I always liked her, uh, but I just, one of my non-negotiables was long distance relationships. When I came out of that period and wrote that list of things I would and wouldn't do to keep yeah. myself sane and healthy and happy, um, it was a two hour limit on on uh, on um, commuting, you know, not farther than two hours away. And New York- You have to be a really strong motherfucker to do a long distance relationship. Yeah, I can't do it. I mean, when Carrie Michelle and I first started dating, there was three months of long distance. She was in Sedona. I was yeah. here and I would have like full panic attacks. Yeah, dude. Like I'd be like, yeah. what the hell's going on here? And it was all that stuff that you had described yeah. where from our childhood, these things come up. And I think initially, like when I first started, I was like, I can handle this. I can do this, but you will never meet God or you will never meet yourself as you would in a conscious relationship. Yeah. Like, oh man. And so you're, you're celibate, you meet her. Then what happened to get her on episode 111 of your show? Well, I mean, that was really the first time we met was that moment. You know, I walked into this business where we were going to record and that was the first time I technically met her. Um, and uh, yeah, I had that interview and then that was it. And a couple of years go by, I continue on my path of, um, you know, the celibacy and doing work on myself and stuff. And then um, when I was ready to date, I started dating and, and uh, dated someone else for a number of months. And so, you know, she was just off radar, friend zone. I'm really good about that these days, you know? Um, my boundaries are really, really important to me for myself and for the people that I'm with. And so there was just, you know, no energizing of that during that relationship. And then um, for a number of different reasons, eventually that re- relationship, we decided to part ways. And I thought, honestly, I would take quite a while off. It was pretty difficult for me because I had, you know, come out of the cave and emerged and really did my best to make something work. And uh, that it didn't work out was really, really difficult. And I thought, I'm going to take a long time, maybe not a couple of years, but definitely like I need to just get into myself and and also not just get back out there and like, well, that didn't work out next. So I went to, yeah. I went to Sultara in Costa Rica and a lot of the introspection and inner work I did was about like, huh, okay. So what happened this time, Luke? You know, what did you do? Not in a self-blaming way, but a self-responsibility way. What did you contribute to this that... um caused it not to be viable long-term, you know, and I discovered a lot about myself and more of those patterns emerged. And what did the medicine show you about the pattern? Um, what was the key pattern? Well, (laughs) it's, you know, it's honestly, it's difficult to say, um, it's difficult to describe without, um, you know, while respecting the privacy of people involved. Um, so I don't know, 
how much I can go into on that just out of respect. Um, but I think generally speaking, it's just, there were a lot of patterns that had to do with my mom when I was a kid and um, a dynamic there that perpetuated itself in, in a few different shades. And um, in that situation in Soltar, I think I realized that there was a bit of a pattern in the relationship with my dad when I was a kid. And so, um, yeah, just more patterns. So those were projecting into the relationship, but you were unconscious of that until you went to a different state, which is why the conscious use, and I do say damn conscious, because I've been scorched in ceremonies that take me a year to get over Mm -hmm. legitimately. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that people have a conscious pathway to do medicine. So on a high level, and I know you can't get too deep into it, but for the people like with us here, because there's been some moments where like, I've just been so happy to be alive, man. You're reminding me like, oh yeah, crying is good. Emotions are good. Oh, and it's yeah. a beautiful feeling, like yeah. especially coming from the narrative where I came from, which was like East County La Mesa, throw some dirt on it, get back out there. Don't be a pussy. How many women did you sleep with? How much beer did you drink? And what's your car look like? Like that was basically <laughs> it, man. And so- it's one way to live. <laughs> having, this, having this conversation with you, like there, there was some really potent medicine that you got. And maybe just go as deep as you can with with respect to these people. Here's what I found at Soltara. I guess I could say it like this was that um, there was still a lot more work to be done on loving myself and on having standards for myself in terms of how I treat other people and how I allow myself to be treated. And... um, I saw there, God, there's so, there's so much. I mean, it was such a profound experience, those four ceremonies. But essentially, I saw how I had abandoned myself, you know, and I had seen in prior ceremonies how I had been abandoned and neglected in various ways throughout my life. But this one was all on me. You know, this one was like wanting things to work so bad and wanting love so bad that I lost the connection with myself and my own sovereignty, my own individuality, my own ability to feel autonomous and connected to God without another person, you know? So perhaps you could say some version of codependency maybe. Um, in, in that, like a little sneaky in one in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, you know, and you know, just in all, in all fairness, I think ultimately just, issues of compatibility too. You know, it's just the way you think, the way you believe, the way you interact in the world. It's just different than someone sometimes, you know, and it's not a matter of like who is right or who is wrong. It's just, you're just different. You just do things differently. You see things differently. And at some point those things converge and you realize like, oh yeah, no, this is not, this is not going to work, you know? Um, but at a, on a, on a deeper level, um, yeah, I think the lesson was really in about just really getting connected to my heart, man. And just really going in there and just having a really high standard um, in terms of how I treat myself and up-leveling that standard where I just refuse to accept anything less than absolute respect and love for myself. And as I started to embody that, came out of that that, uh, relationship and I don't know how many, few months went by. Um. And then, um, yeah, Allison was out here visiting and mentioned to me that she was moving here. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> that just changed the whole game. Or maybe she had texted me like, yeah, I'm coming to LA because I'm going to be moving there. I was like, oh shit. Like was not expecting that because she was total friend yeah. zone. Like when I yeah. finally did express to her that I was interested in her, I mean, she she turned like white as a ghost. She was like, what? Because I had been so 
so friend zone with her, you know, for the reasons that I described earlier. But anyway, you know, I went to coffee with her after I was, you know, very cleanly and out of that relationship and had done a lot of work on myself. And I just said, Hey, listen, you know, I just want to be straight up with you. I've always been really attracted to you. I've never asked you out because you lived in New York. If you're moving out here, I want to take you out. And she was just like, what? <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. That takes balls. That yeah. was a full switch up. She was just like, who is this dude? You know? Cause I mean, it's just like I said, I, and I, and I'm just that way. I don't flirt. It's like, I'm either into you and I'm going to just be like, Hey, I'm into you or I'm not. And then we're friend zone or whatever, you know, I, yeah. I'm not, I don't, it's not my steez to like feed off that. Like, ooh, ooh, or, you know, I don't like, yeah. I don't like ambiguity and subtlety. I like just directness, you know? And Man, so. this is, this is what your dad talked about. He's like, you know, when you really find the right person and your dad went through the gauntlet as you've shared, mm-hmm. like he had, I think two relationships, right? Yeah. Maybe even he's on his third now, mm-hmm. but this yeah, is the one. Third, third and final. Yeah. <laughs> he told you, he said, um, you know, when you really find the right person, um, all the whole like push pull and the, the addictive nature of like the thrill yeah. like settles and you really just turn into someone that makes you feel like you're coming home all the time. And when I heard yeah. that, I was like, God, that's finally how I feel. Yeah. Like, man, it's, I think in the past I was addicted to like the thrill of trying to get the woman or trying to just honestly conquer, like divide and conquer this old, old school masculine mindset. Like, mm-hmm. Some extreme patriarchy was in my mm-hmm. system. I'll, I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Like, did you feel like that was there for you too at some point? Well, I don't know if I would frame it like that because I think, you know, ultimately masculinity is a lot about courage. You know, I mean, when I think about the valor and honor of the masculine, I think of a soldier, you know, and I don't know that I would ever arrive at that level of courage in my life. My courage is like, can I open my heart? Ah, you know, <laughs> not on the battlefield, it's the battlefield of life. I mean, I guess they both require a certain degree of courage. So I don't want to put myself in the category of a soldier, but in the soldier of life, um, I think true masculinity is having the space that you can hold where you can access all of the energies within your being from the most feminine to the most stoic, still masculine to be able to have that fire within you, but have the space to be aware of that fire. And so I think honestly, when I was less mature, I was probably much more in my feminine thinking I was being like a badass man. I don't let no one get close to me, this kind of shit, which was actually very infantile. And immature and in a, in a mature masculine energy, there's room for all of the energies because there's something, someone holding space for that. That's like, no, I got this. I can cry in an interview. No problem. I don't know. I'm going to sit here and ball all day because I have a masculine objective that we have a time frame. <laughs> there's topics you want to cover. There's structure. Yes. There's order. But within that structure and order is where freedom is. And that's the great paradox, isn't it? That, that. True so liberation comes out of discipline that comes out of structure. And so that's the way that I look at it. Um, what happened that's really interesting is that it gets so fucking witchy in here. Okay. So, so I start dating a homegirl and cause I had just, you know, finished a relationship and I had really high hopes that it would have worked out differently. And however, it did not. How long was that one? Oh, I think about nine months. Okay. And um, before I entered into that, when I came out of the cave the first time, I had all my list of things like, this is the shit I do. This is the shit I don't do. This is what, you know, these are my red flags. These are non-negotiables. This is what I bring to the table. I mean, I had this all in a very concrete plan or a map, you know, and I followed it to a T in terms of, you know, not having casual sex and getting to know someone first and doing things basically 90 degrees from how I ever did them in my whole life. And I 
pretty much did that, but I still didn't, it didn't ultimately um, turn out in the way that I had hoped it would, you know? And so after that, there was another hard reset and like, okay, back to my plan. How am I going to do things this time? And um, (laughs) that plan was like, definitely when you meet someone you like, like take your time, date a few people. Don't be sexually intimate with any of them. Don't see them too much. Don't obsessively text. Don't be crazy. Just slow your roll. Be conscious. Look at their heart, not their tits. Like really observe their character, their morals, their values. Like that's what you want. I mean, I got the formula intellectually. I understood that. Um, Although it was new, but what was so funny about Allison is when we first met, you know, I mean, I liked her, but I I wasn't like, oh, she's the one because I've done that before and that didn't work out. So I was like, cool, she's one. And as I meet others, I will date them and see what clicks. Yeah. But we go on a date or two and um, it was lovely and I just, I really liked her, but still I don't want, I want to go slow. I have this whole like construct to keep myself safe because I don't want to get my goddamn heart broken again. And I definitely don't want to hurt anyone else's heart. Probably want to hurt someone else's heart even less so than my own because I know I can survive, you know, (laughs) I'll deal, but I I don't want to leave wreckage in my wake, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to be conscious. And so um, anyway, man, long story short, uh, she comes out, we hang out a bit, having a good time. She's a little, I think, <laughs> I don't know if she likes me talking about this, but I think she was a little bit uh, put off by how reserved I was and just so old school, like not- Do you feel like you were being extra stoic? Not really making moves, you know, just okay, like yeah. going real slow. And she's like, hello, what, like, it's <laughs> 2000, like it's 2020, you know? Um, anyway, she goes back to New York and um, she's back there doing her thing, getting ready to move out here to, to California. And I mentioned to her that I got invited to a peyote ceremony and she's like, Oh, that's, that's, that's my medicine. That's my shit. You know? And I'd never done it. I was always curious and want to do some research on it. And so uh, she said, well, who are you sitting with? And I mentioned the shaman that I was going to be sitting with. She's like, those are my people. I was like, Oh, well, you want to come out here? So she came out, we go to six ceremonies in the course of a month or something. Uh, and in the first one, which was two nights in an undisclosed disclosed location with undisclosed people, um, you know, I'm thinking this is just like our second or third date and we're going to go our separate ways and continue on with our life and or maybe date some other people and whatever. And I'm going to take it super slow. I really like her, but I don't want to just rush into it, especially right after, you know, pretty soon if you're getting out of another relationship. So in these ceremonies, there's all kinds of things that happen for couples that are very bonding bonding and and um and very sacred in their tradition. And I don't know those traditions and she does. And I'm kind of like just going with the flow. There's, you know, like couples things going on in the start. It's going on all night. And peyote's for me like a really, really challenging medicine. Like it's that's a whole other podcast, but it's it's really difficult for me for a number of reasons, mainly just because I don't feel shit except sick. I'm just like feel stone cold, sober, bored with a sore back. That's what peyote is like for me, <laughs> uh, unlike some of the other medicines. But anyway, uh, the ceremonies take place and I'm kind of going along with it, but I, I start having these old fears of commitment fears and like, it's going too fast. Like they're, we're, they're doing coupley stuff with us and the flower bath and like sacred marriage kind of stuff on the medicine. And I mean, it's a powerful experience, even though I'm not feeling the medicine in the sense that I would feel ayahuasca or psilocybin. Yeah, it's a very or powerful visual too. I don't really have that. For me, the peyote is just like 
I just, I don't know what it is. Anyway, yeah. so all this shit's happening. That's sending these messages to her that are like, oh shit, he's like, it's kind of stepping up. But then I would step back because <laughs> I was like, oh, this is too fast. Because I'm, I'm trying to go with, here's what happened. It's really hard to explain. And I probably get the details wrong. You interview her and she would tell you a completely different story. But the crux of it is this. I had this very linear, logical framework to keep myself and other people safe. Going to these peyote ceremonies, all that's just fucking dis- thrown out the window. Completely dismantled. Yeah. God, the medicine, the shaman, the fire all step in and show her that I was not available for that experience with her. And I'm like, of course I'm not. This is new. I have to go slow or this is going to be painful. During the course of those couple nights of ceremony, uh, we, we we drive to our Airbnb after the first night, and um, and she says, you know, can we have a chat? And I'm like, sure. And she expresses some of her feelings to me that she felt like she was fully there and like available to this, and I'm kind of dodging that intimacy uh, or that commitment. And giving her like rejection energy. And she's basically like, dude, I'm here. I'm into you. Where are you? That was the basic gist of it. After you were the one that said, hey, I'm attracted to you. I want to take you out. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'm in the medicine. You know, I've never been in this. I haven't taken this medicine. I don't know this tradition. There's all these, you know, micro ceremonies within the ceremony. It's all moving very fast. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And she's like, dude, we just did this sacred thing together. Like, where are you? Not in a dick way at all. Just like being honest with her feelings. She's kind of like, dude, I'm feeling really, feeling off to me. Where are you with this? And it was in that moment, dude. I just, I'll never forget it. It would, it was the moment where I had to go like, listen, like, I don't know what's going on with you, but like, this is, I have a plan. I'm following my plan. This is too fast for my plan. So let's just slow our roll. And that was like the defining moment right there. And I just, I remember I just, I leaned into her, like physically leaned in and I just said, okay, tell me more. And I just listened and listened. And there was this moment of surrender in my heart that was just like, okay, Luke, this is not the plan, but this is a new plan. (laughs) And I just had that moment where I had to follow my intuition and God and the medicine and just go, okay, let's do this. And like in that moment, we became a couple. I mean, not, we didn't like not physically as a couple. Um, that didn't happen for a while, which was so funny because that was part of my plan. It's like, do not have sex because it makes you stupid. Me makes me stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, most people. Yeah, yes. just pheromones, chemicals. Ah, oh, we're in love. Well, maybe your dick is just in love, not your whole being. Um, so we, you know, I was like, you know what? Oh, here's what happened. I had that list, and basically, yeah, she was. Um, you know, for forgive me for stumbling around with this, but my my memory is not that great, especially when I'm like a couple nights up on peyote. But essentially, she's like, I'm available. I'm here. I'm into you. Where are you? I was like, oh shit, this is the moment. This is the moment. And I could tell that if I wasn't able to come to the table, that might've been it. She might've been like, he's, he ain't seeing this shit. She had done a lot of work to get to that place. Oh yeah. So she wasn't willing to sacrifice all the work she had done. Six years, dude. She was like doing. She was celibate for six years? Something like that. She was not playing. No, no, not at all. And she's, she's beautiful. So I'm like, I don't know how you did that. Um, Living in New York, like. (laughs) 
must have been penises flying from every wow. direction this at her like on an ongoing warrior. basis. Yeah, she really is. Um, but anyway, so it was that moment. I'm like, oh shit, here goes Luke. And what came to me through the medicine really was, I went back to that list. All the shit I was looking for. I mean, from really superficial physical stuff to the depth of someone's character, values, goals in life, what they will do, what they don't want to do, the whole thing. I mean, I have it in my Evernote right here. I'm not going to read it because it's embarrassing, but um, private. But I said, well, you know what, Allison? Huh? I had this plan for how this is supposed to go so that I do it right this time. And I actually have a list of the things I'm looking for. And I didn't get out my Evernote, but I remember it because I'd written it a few times and tried to use it a couple of times. And I just said, you know, okay, I'm looking for someone who has these qualities, this, 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 this. And I went through the list and 98% or so of everything on that list from the most superficial to the depth of someone's being, she's sitting right in front of me. Mm. I mean, I just gave you a chill. Yeah. So you didn't even need the list. Well, you know, I did in a sense because it was a it was a guide, but then there was a certain point where that that logical linear structure had to be abandoned in full faith and in full trust in her and that what she was seeing with us was valid and what she was seeing to me was valid and trust in the medicine and that whole experience that it was safe to let go that I had past the lessons that required me to adhere to that strict format in order to achieve the desired result, which is a safe, emotionally healthy, bonded, mutually beneficial relationship in which two people can grow even higher into their potential. Wow, man. Let's just pause right there because I want to take a deep breath on that. Seeing what you went through since I first met you and and the way you've shared this story and even your ability to go 20 plus years of drugs, put that aside and know that you trust yourself to do plant medicine and how much courage this all takes. I mean, it, it makes the question go full force in my brain for you. And that is like, do you believe that in some way this story will be what other men, other conscious men will emulate that want what you have, no matter what age they are? Like, will you be teaching this? Will you and Allison be teaching this (laughs) to people? Because so many people are watching and listening and they're getting their gems. They're like, oh yeah, Luke reminds me of me. Or, you know, maybe I want this. Is this something that's going to be a curriculum? Because dude, leading from the heart and, and doing heart relation, there are so many tools that one must embody, not just study, like actually truly embody them to be able to have what you have and hold it and hold it well. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, you know, is like knowing about something or knowing to be in something, right? Yeah. Applied. This is the path of intelligence. We talk about a wellness force. Yeah. We all gather, then we test and we apply and we yeah. get burned by the stove and we break up and we go through shit. Yeah. And then finally, at some point for you, it was like making a list and then realizing that yeah. it was a line. We embody it. it. Was, that's, that's the whole curve. That, that moment, dude, was just so special, you know, of just acknowledging her vulnerability. I mean, the courage that it took her to be like, Hey man, here's where I am. I'm here. And it doesn't seem like you are. And if you don't, here's what she said to me, I think, and you know, again, she'll probably correct me at some point, but she said something to the effect of after these nights that we've had, if you don't see me for who I am, then I don't know if you'll ever be able to see me. And that was the moment I was like, Oh fuck, I got to make a decision right here. Because if I, if I close down and be like, no, but my list, I have to turn. It could have been gone. It probably would have been gone. And she would have been like, he ain't ready. 
I'm here. She was telling me like, I'm available in every way if you want to move forward. And I'm like, but we've only been on three dates. You know, like logically, I'm like, this makes no sense. Does not compute, does not compute. But then I went to my list and I'm like, well, you told God. I mean, I used to pray on that list, dog. Luke, you told God what you wanted. Dumbass, she's right there telling you she's right there with an open heart, open body, open mind, open spirit, ready to roll, you know, and that was, and that was the thing. So to your question, we've done some teaching together, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of Zoom classes and things like that. Um, she has her own, you know, it's, it's, we're on the same path, but she has her own medicine. She's a shaman. She's, she doesn't have addiction in her story. She has a different story and therefore like a different path, but I very much honor and respect her way of doing things. She honors and respects my way. She puts up with all my biohacking bullshit, like, like a champ, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Red light in the morning. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. And I acknowledge that. She just loves me for who I am. And all my, you know, now I'm smoking cigars. I got like re-addicted to nicotine. And she's like, I really don't like this, but it's your path. Like, you're going to have to get through it. Like, how long until you are able to overcome this, you know? But anyway, um, we've talked about that. And I, I really think there's something there because we have both done a lot of work. But what's funny about it is that it's like... I'll think about, well, maybe we could put together a retreat together. And then I think, well, what would the curriculum be? And the curriculum really for us was just doing so much work individually, you know? And because now like we don't have to like use Imago therapy, communication, like we don't really use any tools that could be shared. They're just tools of life that we've both accumulated and applied. And those are just inherently at play in the relationship. Like I use all kinds of stuff I've learned from John Gray Mm -hmm. in my relationship with her, mainly just like shut your mouth, really compassionately listen and listen more than you think you possibly can and make sure that she's really fully expressed verbally everything she needs to like that tool alone. So I'm sure I have things, but they've just become integrated into kind of who I am and how I operate. So there's not like we followed this system and now yeah. we're living happily ever after. It's there's more no like PDF download. No, it's like we did our own <laughs> shit. But when I say that to her, she's like, well, dude, that's what the teaching is, is like all the stuff that we each had to go through individually that brought us to the place where we do have a truly conscious relationship. Yeah, because I think about Hendrick's work or even Wineland, connecting the dots on all these different teachings. And I remember when I did the 10-day Vipassana, Goenka was like, yes, everything you learn here, take what resonates, leave the rest. Bruce Lee says the same thing. Mm-hmm. So out of all the stuff that you've pulled in and gathered, we also, well, you and I share an affinity for Hawkins, for letting go, which is that book saved me, man. Yeah. Like three, three years of podcasting, being single, like I would listen to that in the shower. <laughs> yeah. And so one of the things yeah. that, that you've talked about and that I love the most, and I'd love for you to share this with people, is the emotional ladder. You know, like the, the frequency, the vibratory frequency of shame versus love. And then, you know, the myriad of emotions in between that. Everyone go get this book. Like this book is profound. It's David Hawkins letting go. But, but walk people through that ladder because that I'm sure in, in a way yeah. allowed you to be with Allison and open your heart. Yeah, well, I think it's part of the, it's part of the self-awareness to, to be able to observe where you are on that emotional scale or that scale of consciousness at any given moment and to set your sights on the highest level, which in, in David Hawkins' particular scale of consciousness would be a thousand. That's like the maximum on the human level. That's when you're floating on a cliff. Yeah. Then you, with like a cape. Then you get into archangel, <laughs> you know, territory and, yeah. you know, the Buddha, Jesus levels of thousand plus or whatever it is. It doesn't really, the numbers and all that don't matter. I think what was so valuable about that 
framework for me is a how they and I I think I discovered this myself. I mean, I'm sure it was divine guidance, but his scale of consciousness almost directly relates to the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is really interesting. And that's a whole wow. other thing. Yeah, you can put them that. side by side. And basically when you hit bottom, you're at shame and apathy. And then the minute you, well, it's a whole other thing. But anyway. I feel like God's spirit is speaking in so many different <laughs> yeah. languages and, and it's all the same thing with different clothes. Yeah, it, just it is. Like, I, what the, the hell? It is. Well, I guess it could be simply explained like the 12 steps as a teaching, whether or not someone is an alcoholic or addicted to anything, the 12 steps as a teaching have one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to raise your consciousness. Yeah. Right. So you come in and shame and apathy and you work your way up through willingness and courage and self-honesty and um, making amends and being of service and prayer and meditation and all these things to elevate your consciousness. So it's like that particular framework of having an understanding of where you are in terms of as a conscious being and also where you want to get to. And that place of wanting to get there is the single focus of one's life. And so now spiritual practices aren't relegated to a certain time of day at a certain place with certain people or because you feel like shit and you're like, oh my God, I need to get spiritual. But you're really surrendering your life to that evolutionary path. And so one's life becomes a prayer. Everything one does, you know, how I place my hands on the table, how I look you in the eyes, how I'm aware of that water, how I'm consciously opening my heart in this conversation. You know, everything that's going on is a devotion to God. And there's also a lot of fallibility and allowance for the fallibility when that's not what I'm doing also. You know, when I'm judging the maskers or whatever (laughs) for being illogical, then I'm out of that. And it's okay because there's an awareness that goes up, judgy boy come back to reality, you know? Um, there's there's a difference though between judgment and discernment. I, I think judgment gets a bad rap. Like I can, I can be discerning about whose energy fields I want to be around. True. So there's like, uh, where does that exist on the scale? Because a lot of people right now are struggling. Like, should I judge or should I discern? Like, should I protect my heart? Should I open it? Like where, where does that um, intuitive awareness come in on the scale? Well, I think judgment in and of itself is coming from a positionality of ego, right? Because as embodied souls, we're in an animal body. We're in a big hairless ape suit. Well, some of us hairier, I have more hair than some, some of us hairier than others, <laughs> yeah. right? So we're we've got this ape system and this higher consciousness. We have this prefrontal cortex that acts as the supercomputer to make sure that the ape stays safe. So in any environment, the basic structure of ego is to size everything up, friend, foe, threat, benefit, et cetera. Can I eat that or is that poison? Am I bigger than this person? Can they hurt me? Can I hurt them? Can I mate with this one, not mate with that one? Everything's based on this sort of value judgment system. So when I walk on the beach and I'm like, look at all these idiots in broad daylight and they're mass, then that ego identity of me feels like I'm smarter than them. You know, The awareness of that comes for me in the acceptance that it's pointless to vilify or demonize that aspect of intellect, of ego, that's doing the finger pointing and the judging. It's it's what it's wired to do. I have to walk into an environment and suss out if it's safe or not from that perspective. But with an awareness of that through meditation and plant medicines and all the ways, breath work, you all know the ways, you talk about yes. them all the time in your show. Yes. 
then one can walk on the beach. And I did this this morning and I even, I verbalized it, which is the next step of unconsciousness to Alice. And I was like, look at these idiots with the masks, you know? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, what idiots? And I'm like, oh, oh there shit. we go, you know? And it's yeah. like, so that's, see, the difference to me um, in the pathology there is between judgment and observation. Judgment is saying, look at the people in their masks, they're wrong, I'm better than them. Observation is, that's interesting. A lot of people are really in a lot of fear right now and feel the need to wear that mask. And in yeah. that minor, yet at the same time, uh, um, expansive differentiation is the compassion and the love for other and the empathy for me to be able to go, oh man, what if the only uh, knowledge I was exposed to was coming out of my TV from CNN? Like a, an absolute like arm of the CIA was controlling my mind. Like that's super sad. And I got to feel yeah. for them. And, you know, maybe every once in a while, if I'm around someone and they seem extremely distraught, I pull out my fake ass mask and put it on, you know, but it's, it's in that, it's in having the awareness. And then when, when I've made what I, determined to be a transgression. I don't want to call it a mistake, but just I've regressed backwards into a place of less love, less awareness, less compassion, rather than the double jeopardy of like, oh, I made a mistake and then kicking myself in the hind end for it. It's like, oh, where can I bring more awareness into this and stay in the place of observation, observational curiosity rather than judgment. And it's just that fine line of like, they're wrong for doing that. Versus that's interesting that they're doing that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I, I love that you talked about this. Like we're half beast, half spirit. Like you're a soul, you're Luke's story in a body, but your soul, this is like the last time on planet earth you'll ever, there'll never be another Luke story. There'll never be another Allison or Josh or Colin or anyone. Like yeah. we are here. This is the only thing we get. And so I feel like what you're saying, and I'm curious to how you see you'd explain this. What we're really doing is we're either having a belief that something should be because of love, because love says so, or we're experiencing the deep contrast of what it feels like when we're judging and being in fear. So does it all relate? Is it that simple, dude? I'm not saying it's easy, but is it that simple that everything comes to either love or fear? Is it really that simple? I think it's as simple as love has no opposite. There's just the occurrence of a lack of love. You know, when I look at Bill Gates or George Soros or any of these diabolical sociopaths. <laughs> and that's that's not a judgment, it's an observation. That's an observation. See, that's discernment right there. <laughs> that's my observation. No, you could, I, you could say that's an opinion, but let's say I perceive someone, or even just looking historically, you know, Lenin, Mao, Hitler, et cetera, you could look at them as, you know, evil or a serial killer, you know, uh, of note uh, that you would say they're evil, but it's it's not that there's um it's not that there's darkness it's just that there's a lack of light so it's not that there's evil there's just a lack of love and so anytime i find myself in that place of contraction it's not i'm a bad person i'm being mean i'm being angry it's not the presence of those negative lower base emotions it's just that there's a lack of expression or acknowledgement of love within me and when that's not there what you're left with is the lower states and that goes back to the hawkins levels of consciousness and so knowing you know, the other day I was just really stressed out. You know, I'm just, I'm reworking my whole business. I'm doing all this bullshit. We're learning Asana and fucking Slack and just all these apps and just like, ah, oh, the part of business that I hate, it makes me want to just like go be broke somewhere and yeah. not have a business, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but I have a mission. I have Dharma. I recognize that. And there's a structure and a framework 
that has to support that dharma or else the dharma stays at a certain level and is small. This is what Wineland talks about where you kind of have to bleed for it. Yeah. So I found myself becoming really pissed off. And then I, I observed that I was going from this like enraged state. I mean, this is just me in my office or whatever, just frustrated with stupid apps and a computer freezing and whatever, you know, the, the little wheel of death on your apple, that rainbow yes, wheel. I know that well. They should make it a skull and crossbones. And I observed myself go from rage down to this kind of uh, apathy. It was just like, and it's just in a moment, thank God, because I used to live here all the time, but I went, I sunk down to apathy and it was like, maybe I shouldn't even be alive, man. Like, I I should just be dead. Like, why, why, why even do this? You know, I'm starting to have thoughts like that. And I didn't think back, well, you know, Luke, think about the David Hawkins scale of consciousness. It's just, it's just integrated, <laughs> yeah. but I am aware like, ooh, no, 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 no. Apathy is, is lower than shame. You know, apathy is where you're ashamed and you're angry and you and don't you give don't a care. fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if I can bring myself up to just feeling guilty and ashamed, that's a good start. And once I'm there, it's much easier to get up to being angry about my situation. And look at how much more powerful anger is than the despair. Absolutely. It's way up further on the ladder. And out of anger, I can breed courage. And out of courage, I can find willingness. And out of willingness, I can find acceptance. And on and on and on. And I'm working my way up. And this is going, you know, this is a 30 second process of like, no, 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 no. Come back up. Let's reframe this experience here. From like, oh, poor me, I have to learn how to use a $3,000 computer. Like, really, dude? Like, you're complaining about this? Your job is to talk and you're going to bitch about that? I'm like bitch slapping myself. Like, wake up. Come on, man. And that's just a little inner dialogue based on that self-awareness. And so, you know, every person I believe that is 100% human, and I do believe there are entities among us that might not be all the way human, as odd as that might sound. Uh, But I think that every human being does have the capacity for unconditional love. And I know that I do because I live there a lot of the time. So anytime I'm feeling dysregulated or lost or having some sort of doubt, it's just because I've left that place of center and that knowingness, not a belief in, but a faith in, knowing that I am a divine, timeless, infinite being it's having a brief momentary experience here in which I have to use a computer in these dumb apps. <laughs> you know? So it's like scaling back up the purview, the altitude of my point of view out of the myopic me and my problems and frustrations and eh, why won't things work? It's like, no, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. And see myself as that little ant having this little ant experience. Man. And that gives me perspective that allows me to have a little bit more of a realistic point of view and a modicum of humility that allows me to acknowledge, yeah, it's hard being a person. And also it's a lot harder for a lot of other people. And it was also a lot harder for me a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, you know? Well, you have it good in some ways, but also like losing anonymity and and bearing your soul to like hundreds of thousands of people, like that's nerve wracking. Like we had a podcast that had like hundreds of thousands of views and I shared some some things about my life and I was like, damn, I'm sweating. Like I, 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 even, even talking with you, like in the first 
15 minutes of this, I was sweating because I'm like, damn, he's bringing up porn. Like, I'm going to have to share it, you know, because there's no way around it. We either talk about the truth and discuss and connect on the truth and how belief and faith are the same thing if I say something and so it is, or we don't, then we're just having comedy podcasts. We're not getting deep at all. We're not actually moving people. How do you navigate this world of like not getting too serious, but also knowing that there's some serious shit in the world that humor and levity and, and podcasting can be a solve for, can actually give a solution for. One of my favorite principles is uh, wearing the world like a loose garment, you know, and um, also that seriousness is a mental illness. And so I find myself, I was actually, I had this experience this morning. I was walking through the hotel down the, down the road here and uh, I see the mask signs everywhere, you know, and then I walk yeah. in and poor girl, you know, working uh, cocktail waitress or server of some kind, you know, she has the full on like Star Wars space helmet thing, you know, and I'm just like, I could be like, this is so ridiculous. Like, what the hell? The Illuminati is trying to kill us all. And, you know, that might be true, but it's just in that moment, I'm just like, this is so hilarious. This is all so dumb. You know, it's just hilarious. And so I'm in the world and uh, I realize some people are forced to do that. Some people um, want to do that because they're afraid. People like me don't want to do that because I'm not afraid. And even if I was forced to, I'm pretty much not going to, and I'm willing to pay the consequences for that. Um, but it's all part of the theater of life, you know? So it's like, how can we have one world in the physical theater and believe it just enough to participate in it, but to know that this is all ultimately illusion. And the only thing that matters is the ascension of my soul and my consciousness while I'm here. And that this physicality in this material world that I'm gifted enough to participate in as an incarnated being is perfectly designed and set up for my ascension. It's the perfect earth school. Wars, famine, rape, the new world order, nuclear bombs, everything. It's one hell of a show. Everything here is a gift for me to have options from the lowest of low vibrations to the highest of godly angelic vibrations. And if there wasn't that contrast and that scale and that diversity, what a boring, pointless school it would be. Because we'd all be PhDs in kindergarten going, what are we doing here? This is too easy. Yeah. We'd want another world with like yeah. higher We would want and... challenges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it's, you know, being in the world, but not of the world. So it's being in the world, acknowledging that we're, you know, to some degree playing along with the system here that is all fabricated by the creator in order for us to flourish or fail. And so... Um, from that point of view, like, yeah, I keep up on my taxes. I have a bookkeeper. I, you know, I, I tend to the earthly things in my life, but I really, really do my best to not take it all too seriously. And I know at any given moment, if I'm not feeling free and light and happy, the only thing wrong is that I'm taking this shit to be all there is. And I'm taking it too seriously, especially myself. And so when it comes to vulnerability on social media and being expressive and just wide open and willing to be trolled to death, it's like, 
have at it, man. You know, it's like, yeah. give it your best shot, folks. I think, didn't Here you say something? You were like, you know? I, blo- I block them and I bless them. Yeah, I block, block and, and bless. bless, man. You know, it, although that's funny because I've been talking a lot about censorship and then I've had one or two people call me out and like, bro, you kicked me out of your Facebook group. What? A, what? I thought you didn't believe in censorship. And I was like, huh. Oh, wow. I didn't really think that through. Just serving <laughs> you some duality. Yeah, right yeah. There. I was like, that's an interesting wow. point, actually. Um, but then again, like, my Facebook group, although it's on a public platform, is my home. Like, this is your home. Yeah, you wouldn't go to somebody's house and shit yeah, on If the I started knocking shit over, you wouldn't be censoring right. me to be like, hey, you can go do that outside. Yeah. Which I guess me would be saying, you can go do that on Facebook at large, but this is our little... Our little, you know, home here. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this. I love this aspect of coming home because, you know, we talked probably for a really big, like 45 minutes about this journey, this navigating ocean wave journey of like cutting all the cords to the boats that held the childhood trauma so you could actually bond with somebody and love them for who they are and be comfortable and be at home. And then we also explored like a little bit of consciousness. And I'm thinking about like this phrase of coming home, Ram Das, Rumi. Most people in some way with whatever words they want to use, they'll say, eventually we all come home. We're all coming home to ourselves. What does that mean to you to actually come home to Luke, to actually come home to you, to yourself? And how good does that feel at this stage in your life to be able to know, you know what? I definitely have done the work and I embody these certain things. I deserve to be at home now. You know, man, that's really the happy ending to the story is that we're all here on this big orphanage. You know, we're all, in a sense, um, lost kids trying to find our way. And, yeah. you know, we meet people like you and one another and my lovely Allison. And we, as Ram Dass said, which is one of my favorite things he ever said, and it's the most simple is we're just, we're always walking each other home. You know, and I think what I really found at Saltara in that experience and was a huge part of unpacking the relationship challenges that I had had um, was just... <laughs> heart is where the home is you know it's like you need people but you don't at the same time you know the the person that i need is myself the place that that i am striving to arrive at through accomplishments and milestones goals etc the thing that i think i'm going to feel is that sense of <sighs> i've arrived And the only time that that arrival can take place is right now. It's the only time there is, and it's the only home there is. And so to be a wanderer, as I have, (laughs) into some pretty bad neighborhoods at times, um, to arrive back within that solitude and to face my greatest fear, which is to be alone. You know, as a kid, I just had this existential loneliness. That was like the one anchor of my life was just like, what am I doing on this planet? I do not belong here. Somebody drop me off on the wrong planet, please. I'm sending out a beacon, an SOS. Someone pick my ass up and get me out of here, which drugs and alcohol are a facsimile of, of that escape from this realm. Why? Because I was taking this realm to be all there is and taking this way too seriously. So in the journey, where I've gone is in this cosmic (laughs) uh, U-turn. 
You know, it's like out all around the world, all these different people, all these different ways of playing with your biology and chemistry and other people and finding fulfillment and, and losing it and chasing it again. It's like that road just always leads right back within, right back to my heart. And anytime I feel astray and I start to feel that sense of being alone or being lost, that's the place that anchors me back in is just in my heart. It's really, it's in my physical heart and in my energetic heart. It's, it's, it's here. This is like the base of my whole being here. And I have a sense that in the form of consciousness, when we do disembody, that that energetic field is actually the core of what we take with us. And that's, that's, the vehicle by which our soul travels interdimensionally. Do you feel like that is a rad way to describe it? Do you feel like that is actually what karma unfolds as, whether we choose to actually come from that, relate to and lead from that heart space or not? Because sometimes I'm like, why is there so much suffering in the world? What the hell is going on? I've definitely felt like, get me off this planet before. What the hell is money even? Like why, why, if nothing matters and everything matters <laughs> at the same time, what the hell is the point of that? And then I, I come back to this, reminder from you today. And this is why I love podcasting, man, because you've reminded us of so many things. But the one thing that I have been reminded of you is like, okay, I'm good right here. And that's what makes everything else around me good, loved and well. And so with everything you've been through in the past two years, man, since we've done a podcast, how do you define wellness now? What does wellness mean to you at this point in the journey? Hmm. I think wellness is in the realization fundamentally of who and what you are. You know, whether your experience of that is within your heart and that energetic field that we each possess or your sense of who you are, even as your identity in its limited form, wellness is in being that fully. It's an integrity, regardless of how esoteric and broad your sense of self is, is just like owning your sense of self for whatever your level of understanding the development is at any given time and fully, fully embracing and embodying that, even if it happens to be ugly momentarily. <laughs> you know, there is a certain wellness in the acknowledgement that one is sick, mm. right? Because fundamentally that sickness is something that like evil does not exist you know, on a spiritual level, it's just the absence of wholeness, integrity, completeness. And so if I can identify and accept, hmm, all right, today I'm having signs of mental illness. Cool. I'm well. That's the moment that I begin to get well. That is wellness because there's honesty at play that allows me to have a starting point, a point of pivot that takes me in the direction back to reality, which is wholeness and completeness and absolute perfection. Wellness is honesty. Like that was, that was awesome, man. Thank you for being here in my home today. And this is the first podcast I've done since COVID happened. So <laughs> what a banger. What an insanely uh, so, beautiful audio journey this has been with you, dude. You're a great interviewer. So, you're great. I listen to your show and I learn a lot. You're, 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 you're very talented at it. Thanks, man. Yeah. I feel the same way about you. Yeah. And, and uh, it's just such an honor to have played even one half of a percent in your journey, like, because we're all helping each other as yeah. we walk home. Yeah. So, um, what's top of heart for you now as you navigate the rest of 2020? Man, it's such a it's a, such an unprecedented time. You know, it's like 
I said in the very beginning of our conversation here, I'm, <laughs> it's taken a bit of work for me to, um, to not approach current events with fear. You know, my faith has been tested a bit by this because, as I said, being someone who's really mm, intrigued by fringe points of view and fringe information, um, really at, at the with the advent of the internet, I realized like, wait, there's something other than what you're told on TV and started to delve into different researchers and became curious about the nature of reality uh, and that the nature of reality is in many ways um, much more foreboding than we ever could imagine. Um, you know, in terms of just the control grid of the few that control the many, um, the rampant pedophilia that's now coming to light that I used to think like, I honestly, even though I was a victim of pedophilia um, on a few occasions as a kid, um, and it's just <laughs> something I had to work on a lot. It's something I'm passionate about um, eradicating, even though it's not my exact path. But um, I used to think when I heard people talk like that, that like, ah, it couldn't be that way. It fucking is. You know, there are entities that are devoid of love that have jostled themselves into positions of power on the planet. Um, and are, I truly believe, are largely controlling humanity. And that perspective is hard to accept <laughs> unless I can truly embody what I was talking about earlier, that there is a plan. I'm not talking about the Q non-plan. <laughs> I'm talking about there is a plan and all of this craziness is on purpose and that God created the world just like this so that we have the opportunity to ascend from the lowest levels of bacteria, virus, to angelic, timeless, eternal beings. You know, there is that much scope that we have to play with. Mm. If I can remember that and not take the world too seriously, I'm doing pretty well. But I do get challenged by the things that are unfolding now and my ability to frame them as a new beginning, as like, great, the old power structures are being dismantled and those that were grasping at control of humanity are losing their grip. And that's why the COVID and the forced vaccines and cashless society and surveillance and the Chinese communism model is being ushered into the West because they are freaking out because they know it's game over and that yeah. the more God-aligned people on the planet want a better experience and more equality in the truest sense. Uh, that's where I am right now. It's like, oh, Luke, just lean into that. Lean into that and, yes. and focus on the light and focus on the love without bypassing the fact that we are being squarely faced by a system that is largely devoid of that. And um, someone's going to be here in a couple minutes that we have to prepare for. So I'm going to let you go yes. for this podcast. Yeah. Whenever we come back around to do it again, there'll probably be like a another world order that we've gone through in 2021 <laughs> or 2022. Um, just as parting guidance, man, you know, for people that are really interested in the um, the true embodiment of all the qualities and and even books and tactics and ways of being and everything we've discussed, do you have a starting point for them either on your website or just in the content you put out? Like, in other words, where do people go to take that step to be on your doorstep? Hmm, that's interesting. You know, it's been interesting, man. Um, in doing the content that I do, because as a hobby, I'm into all of the biohacking and and the physical side of things. I think um, I think a lot of people arrive at 
the work that I do as a brand and they kind of see that because that's outward facing. And so at the moment, uh, I'm in a bit of a transition where I'm owning what's most important to me and I think makes the most meaningful contribution um, in a dharmic sense to my being here for the short period I'm here in this body. So um, in the near future, I will be creating some offerings and some entry points for people that want to uh, gain the type of perspective uh, and the levels of consciousness expansion that I've been talking about today. For right now, uh, because my speaking events got canceled, um, because travel got canceled, uh, I had some amazing uh, content that I created around EMFs. So I just made an EMF course, an online course. It's only 149 bucks, which is like, sometimes I'm going, are you stupid? It could be a thousand. But it's like over five hours worth of content. Our friend Colin here uh, shot the majority Shout of it. Shout out to Bold Media. I just thought like, you know, if I'm going to do one starting course that's not really expensive and isn't like a huge life coaching program where I just like give away all the goods, like fundamentally, I think that in terms of people's health, it's really easy to find information on diets and like what's right for your body. And you it's know, everywhere. You know, like you yeah. can basically figure out how to eat organic and if paleo or vegan or whatever works for you, like, cool. It's there's plenty of uh, guidance out there. But in my view, non native EMF exposure is the scourge of human health and not only human health, of all biology on the planet. And it's something that's here. There's not a lot we can do about it. So I made this EMF home safety masterclass, um, which you can find at lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. And that's um, a really great entry point for people to learn fundamentally about the different sources of EMF in your house and how to fix it. So it's, um, I feel good about it. It wasn't like the thing I wasn't, wasn't like, yeah, someday my first online course is going to be about EMF. It just, it kind of (laughs) happened. I was like, well, what would help people the most with the physical stuff provided there's so much great information out there on diet and all that. And like, what's the best fitness program? I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that will geek the hell out on EMF, like hardcore. And I will fix it in my own life because it's hurt me so much um, in my past. I've just had incredible incredibly challenging experiences with EMFs, um, which was kind of the impetus for me to learn about it. And once I learned about it, I was like, oh my God, there's so many people out there getting hammered by this stuff and they have no idea why they're sick and they're eating the right diet. They're doing the biohacking, they're doing all yeah. the things and they still feel like shit. Why? Because they're, they're getting fried. They're getting radiated. So everybody go check this course. Yeah. Out. So that's, that's yeah. my, uh, you know, that's my only offering. But other than that, man, it's the Lifestylist podcast. It's, you know, you've been on the show and, uh, that is where I think the real magic happens in terms of my content and, what I have to share with the world, even though um, the vast majority of time there are shows with other guests, but I think I'm pretty good at picking people that can help uh, uplift the vibration. Well, thank you for being you. Thanks, too. I know people at the end of podcasts are always like, thanks for what you do in the world and blah, blah. I mean, that goes without saying, but what I'd like to thank you for is just thank you for being you and committing to this growth path and just being fucking courageous as you've done it because the world needs good men right now, man, more than ever. You know, and I, I, I flash back to a moment I had with John Wineland and he was like, well, we actually serve from where we're wounded. We serve from the wounded place, but the wound isn't who we are. It's just a reminder that we get to serve from that place. And I feel that from you. Like you are <laughs> the walking embodiment of that. Yeah. So Luke's story. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, brother. Yeah, it reminds me of um, one of my teachers. You know, I used to get my heart broken all the time in so many ways. And he used to always say, Luke, an, uh, a broken heart is an open heart. 
But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on again, dude. Thanks, man. And until we see you guys again soon, I am wishing you so much love and wellness. We talk about Luke. We talk about all these things in the Wellness Force group. It's wellnessforce.com forward slash group. So I'm wishing you love and wellness. We'll talk to you soon.